The Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show is proudly brought to you by the Hoosier Basketball Academy. Want to improve your game and be an elite athlete? Hoosier Basketball Academy, located in the heart of Hoosier Hysteria, provides an excellent opportunity for student-athletes to improve their basketball skills. Their goal at Hoosier Basketball Academy is to provide an opportunity for young athletes to reach their full potential and allow them to compete at the highest level. Using their training model, they believe a solid foundation of fundamentals and muscle memory training is critical for the development of elite basketball players. This can only be achieved if you are mentally tough, have a strong work ethic, and are willing to sacrifice countless hours needed to be the best you can be. The Hoosier Basketball Academy offers high-intensity basketball training focusing on small groups and individual attention needed to improve your game, as well as specialized training and drills done at game speed to push you to your limits and improve overall physical conditioning. One of HBA's goals is to improve the skills and abilities of each player trained by focusing on ball handling, proper shooting mechanics, speed, agility, and footwork allowing you to take your game to the next level. This training is for players that are serious about improving their skills. Hard work pays off and gives you the competitive edge in practice that carries over to games against your biggest rivals. In addition to offering training, HBA fields highly competitive travel teams with many teams qualifying for nationals each year. Visit HBAElite.com for more info. Be elite and train to be the best. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with me is 1953 Indiana Mr. Basketball, a, a legend, a motivational speaker, someone who's traveled and spread the love of basketball to over 87 countries, um, and author, uh, Haley Bryant. Mr. Bryant, thank you so much for spending some time out of your busy schedule to uh, share with uh, share your memories uh, with the audience uh, about basketball and growing up in Indiana and your love of the game. It's my pleasure, Billy. I never get tired of talking about the sport that I love, and it, it, it's helped me make my life pretty much because I've been able to uh, utilize it as a vehicle to communicate with people some things that I truly believe in. What was it like growing up in Indianapolis? Tell us a little bit about your family, who introduced you to the game of basketball, and what it was like growing up in Indianapolis in the late 40s before you got the Crispus Attics. Well, you know, I, I had a loving family. My father and, of course, my, my, my maternal mother passed when I was about five years old, but a lovely stepmother, uh, Katie Bryant. She was just a marvelous lady. She passed away naturally, and my father. So I, it was five siblings. I had two younger sisters, and I was the youngest of three boys. I was a middle child. We had uh, William Bryant, my oldest brother, and then Thomas Bryant, who still lives, and, of course, my oldest sister, Lillian Bryant. I love them, and they're still here. But I think I can't see where I had a lack of love in any area of my life as far as my, my family, and then I think when you grow up with that, I think you want to share that, too, and it becomes a part of you. And so that's why I think I've been very blessed. Still there, Billy?
seems like we got cut off. I can check if you can't if you can hear me. I can't hear you. You can call me on my cell, and we can maybe disconnect. I mean. So where, when was your first introduction to the game of basketball, and who did who introduced it to you? Well, I went to a, a grade school called an elementary school in Lockfield Gardens, a very prominent area, particularly during that time. And they had, uh, uh, I was at a school called Public School Twenty Four, McCoy School, on North Street and, and Blake Street area, where Lockfield Gardens is now. And about the probably second or third grade. Uh, the school was facing, well, the side of the school was this one class that I used to go to. You could look out over the window into this playground. And even though the bigger guys weren't supposed to be playing basketball out there, they were playing basketball out there. It looked like they were having so much fun. So I got hooked on it just watching it. And later on, since I knew after school I could go by there and do what they were doing, uh, that was the time I got hooked on the game. I think I had to be like eight or nine or seven, eight or nine years old perhaps. And so... Started playing with a tennis ball. Anything round, you could throw up through a little hoop. You could throw it up on a window ledge or whatever. You could count it. And you act out being someone that you heard on the radio at that time. <laughs> you go, it's a Billy Boom Boom. We're doing this hook shot, layup shot. So it was, it was, it was a kind of a, a tactic game. You could feel it, touch it, and see it. And I was always a visionary. I could visualize things very well. And I would try whatever I was visualizing. And found that I was pretty good at it. And so... Then later on, uh, this legendary coach, Ray Crow, would come by the playground. I remember this quite well. At that time, he was a coach of, a player, teacher, rather, over at Public School 17. That, that school went to from, I think, fifth grade to eighth grade. And from there, you go over into high school, which was Chris Davis High School, which was right next door. But Coach Crow said something like, this is like planting the seed. This guy, Ray, Coach Ray Crow, was always very short, very clean, a bow tie on, and he, it looked like a movie star, had a great streak in his hair. And so this guy would say things to these young guys. He'd say, Helen, you going to play for me one day. Boy, oh boy, I couldn't get that, I couldn't get that out of my head. He said, boom. So that was an inspiration there. And naturally, when you're on the playground there, you had little girls around too. And, you know, at that age, uh, if you could do something to get a little, yeah, from the girls, that, that was a good incentive too. <laughs> together and uh, I was inspired and so I just kept going and, and I, I always had faith that I could do something with with uh, believing in something that I can't see like I call it God but that creative spirit was in me and so I, I, I didn't ignore it I just let it carry me different places and been blessed because of it. What was the game of basketball like just before you started going to Crispus Addicts? Do you remember following any teams or listening to teams on the radio or were there particular pro- players that you liked to follow or? Oh yeah you know and there was an announcer that made it sound great, too, a guy named Luke Walton. He'd be broadcasting these games. He made it so picturesque. He would say, this guy's hotter than a little red wagon. Come straight down Meridian Street. Look at him now. Boom! And I think, wow, someday maybe I could be the same guy doing that. So then later on, you know, when they learn how to read the newspaper, you read the columns of how I many poor people get, people talk about it. Help me learn how to read, too. <laughs> <laughs> So, so basketball has been a vital factor in my life. So there was no AAU ball back then or anything like that. So so you just you just played long nights at at, uh, at parks and stuff like that to keep in shape. Oh, a little bit of both. Oh, yeah, they had, we had some called PAL Police Administration League, and so I was on those teams. And then I remember we used to take us out to different different parks to play Rodeo Park, Lock, 
Northwestern Park. It was a little leagues going on, see. And even even in, in public school 17, we would play other uh, great schools. So travel by truck sometimes to get to these places. On the back of a truck that be zero weather, you had to dress up real warm. Otherwise, you you get there and you're too frozen to make a basket. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but that's toughening you up, see. That's what athletics will do. It will round you out, help you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So, yeah, any kind of sport like this organizing, you got leaders that teach you about leadership and how to win, how to lose, all about life, really. So did you have instant success on the basketball court once you got to Christmas Attics? Somewhat. One thing happened that was a blessing that Coach Crow was a coach at this grade school, as I said, public school 17. So he was asked by the principal to be the uh, reserve coach at Christmas Attics High School. So he left a semester before myself and Willie Gardner and some of the other great players got older. So he was looking like a feeder system, so to speak. Once we got there, we didn't have to play freshman ball. We played reserve ball first, and the reserve team could beat the varsity team. <laughs> but at that time, at that time, I guess it was under the law that reserve players couldn't play varsity. A couple of years later on, once they saw Willie and I and some other players, uh, the other coaches got wise to it, and sometimes freshmen could play on the varsity team. So, yeah, that, that was an area that was learning for coaches and teachers and everybody else. Basketball has been very, very instrumental in um, particularly that's why they call who's your hysteria. It, it, you know, sectionals and regional and semifinals, it, it, it was great. Greater than college basketball to some degree, particularly to certain groups of people who come see young players play. So is your sophomore year at Attics is uh, when the success started? Yes, that's when we were able to play as a, as reserve players, yes, sophomore. Yes. Yeah. What was travel like back then? Did you were there? Uh, did, did you play all the other public schools in Indianapolis? Did you go out of town to play? Did you guys find it hard sometimes to get teams to uh, uh, schedule you? Well, on the grade school level, we played uh, centrally. You know, other grade school, public school, uh, they had different names and for the schools, and they had uh, numbers for the schools, and also. I have a little wooden trophy here where uh, public school 17 won was undefeated. Even got the student manager's name on this on this <laughs> medal. So Clifford Robinson was quite instrumental in there, and he uh, he he and I have been best buddies since I came to Indianapolis here when I was seven or eight years old. Clifford Robinson, Clifford, we call him Clifford Foster. But yes, it, it was those days were unforgettable, and basketball played a great part. And basketball was always popular in Indiana. Probably during that time. More so because that was probably one of the main vehicles. You know, now they got so many other things like video games and uh, TV. You know, TV was coming into existence real, real well back in the fifties, but black and white. <laughs> so things have been pro- progress. The high tech age now. When did you start getting on the radar for colleges, and um, what was your uh, thought process on making Indiana your decision for uh, college basketball? Well, you didn't know where you were going, and people always talk to you. And I, I, I was blessed to be Mr. Basketball, and you know, it's, and, uh, and so when you get Mr. Basketball in Indiana, you get offers from all over the United States to go, go to college, and you know? also being from Indianapolis here. So I, I looked at possibly going to UCLA because that was a very popular school. And then the, the, the teachers and coaches said you might want to stay close to home. So Indiana University was one of the schools and. Well, I visited Purdue. I visited all the schools here in the city by other coaches taking me around to these schools. At that time, Purdue, uh, it, was, it was it was a race thing to some degree that time. I think they only had 
five black students on the campus at the time, and uh, you had a few more, a few more on the campus, and uh, at that time it had only been, uh, well, actually, Bill Garrett from Shiverville was uh, Mr. Basketball, very popular, so he was the first black player in the Big Ten, I think, uh, basketball. And just to give you a little ancient history here, I was the third black player at Indiana University. So it was Wallace, it was uh, Wallace Shorts after Bill Garrett and Howie Bryant, and then later on became some of the other players. So you're getting into some ancient history here, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's continue with the ancient history. And did you guys you guys went to the Final Four twice while you were at Attics, right? Yeah, with myself, I we went to the final. We went to the Final Four once, and then there was. Shelbyville upset us in the we call the regional at, at that time. You had to win ten games to win the state. So the first game, in order to get into the, to the, to the running of the juices of basketball, you had to win four straight games, four straight games, four straight yeah, in order to win the sectional. Four and then uh, two, 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 two. So yeah, it was it was quite a. If you get through the sectional, it makes it regional, boy. You going to the mountaintop. <laughs> what was the atmosphere like? Uh, tell us a little bit about your gymnasium that you played in at Attics, and what was the atmosphere like at, uh, during a game? Oh man, it's packed all the time. Your parents really turned out to see the, the, the students play basketball and, and the kids and all. We had a very small gymnasium. We could we didn't have a home court, so to speak. So we had uh, Attics was so popular. We had to take our games to places like Tech High School, and and it, I think it held about close to 8,000 people. So because I, I remember one t- game between, I think it was Short Ridge and Attic, it was so popular until the game was sold out, over 8,000 people. And so they were, people, people wanted to see the game so badly, they were breaking into the gym, they even threw the, threw the shower, shower <laughs> area. <laughs> so from then on, they started having our games out at Butler University, the, the popular games and all. We had big crowds out at Butler University too because they had a bigger gym, maybe 15,000 people. Did you have to go through or put up with any ugliness that was going on at the time in the game? Uh, as far as race, uh, yes. I, you know what? I, I was taught when I was a little bitty person about people and you know race and all that. So was there any kind of barriers that you had? You know, was there any ugliness in the game that you had to, you know, kind of be a bigger man and, and move forward from or – I mean, and 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 what did your parents teach you about that when you were growing up? Well, I think you're saying uh, racial situations. Yeah, that has always been that, and it probably always will be, but to a lesser degree now. But I was taught early in life, thankfully, as I re- reflect back in my mature years, that <laughs> my parents taught that uh, I was not better than anyone else, and no one else was better than me. And so, whether it's black, white, Jewish, purple, whatever. I always thought of myself as being a child of God, and uh, that's that's that was it stuck with me all my life, and that's how I live my life. So it didn't affect me that much. I know people would sometimes, even some of the, uh, my own race would say, you know, if you're not careful, they call you Oreo cookie. But I just didn't see things the way a lot of them saw things. So I think more so, Bill. I think more so than the race thing, it's the human thing. Right. And when the ego gets you by the neck, I don't care who you are, what you are, it's gonna carry you into thinking about all the negative stuff and. You're not going to be as uh, functional in life when you have those type of critters crawling through your mind about other human beings. <laughs>
Exactly. I like that term. Critters crawling through your mind. Make a problem of that one. Go ahead. <laughs> Going into your senior year at Addicts, did you have any clue or were you excited uh, about the possibility of being Indiana Mr. Basketball? And when did they let you know and did you have to keep it a secret for a little while? No, you know, you know, you have dreams. You know, when you when you when you look little fellow and you know this, you you look out there. Even when you go to the movies, you you have inspiration. Maybe being a cowboy, a movie star, or whatever. In athletics, you you want to be Mister Basketball. You want to be this or you that. And on the playground, you be playing. You call that guy's name like a, a, a Bill Neiman. He was one of the great players. He would shoot a jump shot, and so you you you, you, you emulate those people that you want to be like. And so you keep doing that. And you're dreaming all the time. And so I was told also by uh, coaches and parents, they say, if you smoke or drink, you're not going to be a good athlete. Even my dad, he said, if you smoke or drink coffee and all that, you're going to be short like your uncle. He's a short guy. And I didn't, <laughs> that was okay. I'm nothing wrong with shortness, but I didn't want to be that way. So he said, you got to stretch, have good posture. So I used to stretch out and be as tall because I wanted to be tall. So I didn't smoke, didn't drink because I wanted to be something like, a great athlete. So, yes, it, it's been an inspiration. Athletics has been an inspiration for me to try to do the right thing and grow the right way. And so when you were told that, you know, you had been chosen as Indiana Mr. Basketball, what, uh, I mean, uh, did you share it with your family? Could you share it with your family right off the bat, or did you have to keep it secret until uh, the Indianapolis Star made it the, uh, official? Oh, no, actually, when I, when I heard about it, I mean, uh, I remember very well. I played baseball as well. We were playing baseball at Northwestern Park, and someone said, "Man, you've been named Mr. Basketball." I think it was the coach, and so I was supposed to go down to the star, and after the next day or something like that, I thought, "Wow, Mr. Basketball!" And so, uh, so I, and by the time that I found out about it, I mean I didn't have to do a lot of talking about it because it was already in the paper the next day, so Mr. Basketball, and you know, then they have a, uh, in and after recorder, it was on the front page. And I think uh, it, it was pretty well known. Anytime you get Mr. Basketball, boy, everything starts jumping up in the newspaper and radio. Mr. Basketball, Mr. Basketball. So, uh, and then if you, at that time, before I was on the All Star team, they were just playing one game in Indianapolis. But that was the particular year that they started playing a game in playing the one game here in Indianapolis versus Kentucky down in uh, down in Louisville. So we went played a game here, played a game down in Louisville. And uh, we won both of the games, and I was very blessed to be uh, MVP, uh, uh, star of stars of both games. You know, uh, during that, I mean, uh, I mean, front page on the Indianapolis uh, Star in 1953 was that, you know, the Rosenberg spies were executed, and right below that says, you know, uh, Haley Bryant threatened. Um, how did that come about, and is, was that just another thing like you talked about earlier? You just kind of just took it in stride and moved on? Yes, yes, because... I was always felt surrounded by people who would protect me, and as I said, the number one force was God, so it never affected me. Uh, I know I used to get a, a, a little perturbed when people call me, call me Haley, and they was Hallie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding you there a little bit, but Hallie Bryant, it's not a, a common name for a male, but uh, people say Hallie Berry, sometimes they call me <laughs> Mr. Berry because of the association. So once I let them know that, they start calling me Mr. Mary. But <laughs> you don't know how many times I looked in the mirror. Hallie? 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 I'm like, I knew I was going to screw that up. No, but you, you've done, not, yeah, I've done it more than four or five times, so that's okay. 
you, you know how to fix that problem. It's Mr. Bryant for the rest of the interview. Well, I, I, took, I took diplomacy in grade school and flunked it twice. When you got to Indiana University, of course, you couldn't play basketball uh, on varsity as a freshman. Was uh, what was what was getting onto the campus like, and and was the game different when you? And tell us a little bit about uh, playing freshman basketball in Indiana. And and were you homesick, or did you feel like you made the right choice? Well, you never know. Uh, you know, you have those dreams of playing different places. Uh, it, the campus was like a, a big, big city. You know, when you, you get out of Indianapolis, you go there. It's a beautiful campus. I mean, you know, it's like a oh boy. I mean, there's no campus like Bloomington. I mean, it was at that time. You know, the big trees, the big school buildings, and you could walk to classes and see see other students. And just it was it was really a great experience. Then you 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 met kids, uh, young children. Uh, your student, your, your classmates, etc., and other students from all over the country, and it was a great gathering place. You couldn't wait for the summer to get over to get back down there so meet some of your buddies and all that you had met when you were in school. Um, who was your freshman coach? Uh, the basketball coach was the baseball assistant coach. Uh, see, Ernie Andrews was his, uh, he was a reserve he was a reserve coach, and we had a uh, the name escapes me now. He, he, uh, he Lou Watson was his. Lou Watson was the freshman coach at the time. We had a couple of them, a couple of them, Lou Watson and uh, Blackman. So a couple, couple different freshman coaches, and then Lou Watson was the assistant coach to Branch McCracken. Uh-huh. And, and and what was freshman ball like? Was it? Uh, did you find that the game was any different, or were you just chomping at the bit to get to your sophomore year to to, to play college basketball? Well, I was chomping at the bit naturally because playing freshman, you didn't get a chance to play other schools. You just had to play freshman, play intramural game. They call it. I mean, they play against each other there just before the varsity game. We would play the like the uh, game before the varsity, so you couldn't wait till you could start playing real competition. Uh, so, what was it like when you got to play real competition as a sophomore? Did you did you guys travel a lot? Did you uh, you know uh, tell us a little bit about your days at Indiana University? Oh yeah, you know you played other Big Ten schools naturally, and they were going to be the best. And so we went all over the country, all over the got Big Ten schools, and played other schools. And so uh, I played a year with Don Slunt, who was All American seven footer, Don Slunt, and uh, Brooke Scott. I think about some of the scenes. And there's a guy named uh, Charlie Crock, and then uh, uh, guy from they went on to play with Syracuse, and I'm blocking on his name now, but he's a great player. Ourselves. I would have liked to play with him, Dick Farley. Yeah, Dick Farley was this guy's name. He was there himself. He, he made sure the shooters got the ball. <laughs> and the other time when I played, since I was a shooter, uh, sometimes I didn't see the ball unless I stole the ball. <laughs> but, uh, all of that helped me to get to wherever I am right now. You, you run across, you asked me earlier about some difficulties. You, yeah, you run across it everywhere on high school level and college level and you, 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 you you don't understand it as much as you do as you grow up, but yes, you've always had that. Uh, I call it uh, uh, dysfunctional type going on, and uh, all of that help you to grow because you, you you can grow through it. That which would not kill you will make you stronger. I always heard, and which is so true. Um, was there a particular besides uh, playing uh, on your home court at IU? Was there a particular place that you really liked to play because you felt comfortable with the rim or the floor or the uh, ocean was just, or the basket was just an ocean? Yeah, Butler Fieldhouse was my favorite basketball court in the whole world. Really? <laughs> I mean, that court because I guess when, when you when you freshman played there the first time, the court seemed like it had a lot of nice give in it. You could just bounce that ball, the ball come right back. 
you know, I was a, I was a touch player. People, you know, you could, the ball just stayed with him. Actually, like you and the ball and the floor was all in one, and the, the feel of that floor was just so great. And the rim, it was just, you know, you as a kid you used to sit up really high and watch games, and you dream of being down there. But once you got down there, boy, that was basketball heaven. Boom. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself here for the with the Globetrotters, but, you know, at Crispus Attics, at Indiana University, in your free time, did, is that when you uh, tried some of the, you know, the the tricks and the other stuff and stuff like that and, and learned them yourself just on free time? Well, Globetrotters were, you know, they were, they were coming to town once or twice a year and you mm-hmm. always wanted to do what they did. I mean, that was fun. You, you know, behind your back pass, a three-leg pass, a, a no-look no, no pass, you learn all those things. And you, whatever you see, you learn. And then you learn, you practice, you practice, you become. And so you tried all those things, and when you got into the game, many times you didn't have to think about it. You had done it so much on the playground until it was called uh, unconscious competence. So, <laughs> yeah, when you visually, like you're doing this radio program now, you're not thinking about what you're going to say. You've done it enough, so you know the question. So basketball is the same way. And so I, uh, people would say, you did this, you did that. And I don't remember doing all that. I mean, I just did it because it became naturally see. That's when you know that you own your game when you don't have to think about it that much. What was Coach McCracken like as a coach? He was a coach. <laughs> you answered my question. Have you heard that old expression? And this is no put down. I mean, we do the best we can with what we have. You know, whether you coach or whatever. You know, it says let sleeping dogs lie. Yeah. Uh, so you. Just, Certain things that you just let go and don't think about them. Uh, in fact, as the old uh, the paradigm, the paradox is that if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be who I am now. And that's a maid, and that's a paradox. So when you see things happen real ugly, like if you look back on, it, you can say, "Boy, I thought it was awful, but if that didn't happen, this would happen. If that didn't happen, this would." You go, Phew. so yeah, I, 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 I'm blessed. So when when you're getting ready to graduate from Indiana University, what was your thought process? How did how, where what path did you take to continue basketball? Well, you know, you, you think in terms of being in the NBA, mm-hmm. but then there was always another avenue out. You thought they played NBA played just on the one continent. The Harlem Globetrotters played all over the world, so uh, it's like a dilemma to some degree if you had a choice. So uh, at that time, I think they only had. Uh, maybe three black players in the NBA. They had, wasn't many opportunities to, I think they, they had less than 100 players in the NBA during that time. It was uh, it was uh, 10 teams, I believe it was, uh, nine teams with, with 11 players on, on each team, so 99 players. So so I had a tryout with St. Louis Hawks, and at that time I don't think they had, ever had a black player play on their team, but anyway, uh, later on they did. And so that owner of the St. Louis Hawks, Marty Blake, well, he was, he was one of the, the, the executives with the Atlanta Hawks, and they knew Abe Saperstein, the founder of the Globetrotters, so they called Saperstein and said, we've got to play over here. He's talented, but we have no room for him right now. So that was great for me because I went straight from there to the Globetrotters, and I was with them for 27 years. Played about 13 years, and I did PR TV for them for those other years I was there. and Had an opportunity. To, to live up to a dream I had when I was 10, 9 years old. I used to look up in the sky and see those planes going up there that look like they're standing still. And I could go all over the world and make money doing it too and meet people from all walks of life. And I had those dreams come true. And now I saw, is it true that you, you've played basketball in 87 different countries? 
87 different countries for sure. And some of those countries, some of those places where we did play, they didn't have a label, so now they become like Saudi Arabia, not Saudi Arabia, but uh, uh, they've changed names, you know, in some of those countries over there. Um, I'm blocking on the name of them now. Yes, uh, many, many places, two or three times, two or three different times, and then later on I became the PR person. I was back over there as a PR person versus uh, playing. I guess my, one of my favorite places is Australia. Australia, because at that time in January and December, it's like 90 degrees. It got reverse weather, but people were very nice. It didn't seem to face any racial situation. They, they loved the Globetrotters. Was there, did you guys get huge? I mean, I mean, tell me a little bit more about the, the Globetrotter experience and, and, and traveling your first couple of years playing. Well, the Globetrotters drew big crowds pretty much everywhere. I think the reason the Harlem Globetrotters has been so popular, particularly during that time, is because whatever we're doing on that court kind of bring the kid out of the young child out of each each adult and then when they bring their, their kids to the game then they're living through the kids again so that laughter and humor is still very very helpful uh, healthy for people and that's what the globe tries give them a chance to vent when things are going bad and and so it was a great experience being a Harlem Globetrotter and even today uh you might have heard I did a one man and still do a one man Globetrotter show where I get people involved doing some of the trick passes, et cetera, and describing some things about life with some of those uh, metaphors from that I learned from the Hall of Globetrotters, like the magic circle, magic, magic, the things that you can do if you practice and showing them off and talking about them and comparing them to life. So it's been a teaching tool for me. Did you enjoy particularly coming back to Indianapolis with the Globetrotters Did, uh, and seeing family and friends? Oh, yes. Yeah. That was a highlight when you could come back and, Boy, how I my Harlem Globetrotters? People come out. In fact, Savage Team was very smart with that, too. There was a couple of teams that the Trotters had out on the road, and they, one of them was called the main team with Metalock Lemon, and then got Curly Neal. And well, before then, the, the king of the Globetrotters was Reese Goose Stadium. If you ever watch any old films, he was yes. the man. Yes. And so, so I remember coming here, and uh, of course, another great player for me was Willie Gardner, who passed on, and I had another player named Sonny Smith. These are some of the Globetrotters from Indiana, Indiana here. So uh, it's, it's, it's been, uh, you're bringing back memories. We're going down memory lane. Memory lane. <laughs> that was unrehearsed, by the way, you and I. <laughs> so, so when did you say, hey, you know what? It's time to write a book. And, and was that a difficult process? No, it wasn't. The book actually was already in me. Uh, as I said, I've done the one man Globetrotter show and and presentation where I motivate and, and edutain. The, and so I, the title edutainer came uh, a really uh, part of me. And then there's a lady named Omiria Boucher out of the uh, Gary area. She she did the uh, editing and she also helped me write the book. It's almost like me going to the grocery, getting some different goodies and big bags of them, bring it back and put it in front of her. And she knew how to cook. She knew how to put the put the, the material together, and she kind of helped me co-author the book and so uh but the reason i wrote the book is and i used i didn't didn't want to do books because the books i read sometimes is, is fictional and i wanted to do something non-fiction so people could see some things that i not necessarily went through but i grew through so that's how i got the book i was inspired by that in fact i could put put it out there and, and reality so people can see it and, and some things in there if they can see where i went around an area that Filling some holes and got my feet hurt, they wouldn't have to go through that same area, so they can go another route, take another path. 
I like how you just said that. You know, it's not something that you uh, went through; it's something that you grew through. That 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 I, I like that. Well, I mean that because I've yeah. experienced it. You know. Mm-hmm. So, with the success of the book, then how did you get into motivational speaking? Well, I've always been kind of like a non-talker, and so uh, I guess after my high school and uh, maybe about a sophomore year, I learned to talk. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, you know, and I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a visual and a, an a, a auditory at the same time. And I, 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 I really got involved in learning how to communicate by listening to audio tapes. Uh, great, great speakers, you know, uh, Earl Nightingale and uh, uh, different people like that. There's a, there's a tape I called "Thinking Grow Rich." Was a classic. I can't think of the name of the guy right now, but uh, it'll come to me. But yeah, I think. I, 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 once, once you learn how to learn, then you start loving to learn, then you continue to want to learn. That's where I'm right now. It's insatiable to be able to feed that mind some new things and become more aware. Awareness is life, and life is awareness. Uh, did you enjoy uh, uh, sitting back and watching uh, Crispus Addicts have uh, success after you went to IU? Were, were you? Did you go to the state championship games with Oscar Robertson's and stuff like that, or and did you enjoy the um Success with the team. Oh yeah, that's your alma mater. Oh, yeah. You, you look back. In fact, uh, Oscar and I used to be on the playground all the time together. When he, I knew he was going to be great because he he was like I. I mean, his name. We were out there shooting baskets and playing one on one. There were just two of us out there, and uh, I think the people that was out there in Longfield, particularly the ones that was near the court, they could hear the ball bouncing and all. And so they learned. They, they, I'm sure they were thinking, well, it's better for them to be out there and to be somewhere. A shooting dice or drinking or whatever, so they kind of had patience with us on the playground out there. So, uh, yeah. What do you think about the college and professional basketball game today? Well, uh, they're, they're advanced. They're much more, uh, I can say, like like um, the, the the Warriors with Stephon Curry and this boy Thompson, uh, San Francisco. They got, I think, the best team. And, of course, with LeBron James is, is terrific, but this boy Stephon Curry is my, one of my favorite players and the guy with Oklahoma. Uh, so these, I think it's very entertaining, and they're showing athleticism, which is incredible. Uh, it's, it's great. The game is great. And, and uh, uh, there's there some teams up there that I don't watch because the, the, the skill level is much lower than I would like, but... You pick and choose, and I, I still enjoy watching them. Watching them. What do you think about the um, game of basketball, high school basketball in Indiana? Do you think they shot themselves in the foot when they changed it all up? Well, I'm a, I'm a bit biased there. I didn't like that at all because I think uh, when you have a sport that even the smallest team, that, like Milan, can come up and beat the giant uh, teams, uh, I think that, that should always stand. I didn't like that. I, 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 I like the one-class system. So... Uh, you know, when you hear about eight, nine different championships, it's like watering it down. That's 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 my mindset. So uh, I didn't like that. And I don't I don't watch it as much because of that. As a matter of fact, and uh, I don't think a lot of people do. Looking at attendance records, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, in all of your travels, was was there a couple of wow moments with meeting people that you know, if it wasn't for the game and and, and what you grew through? that you wouldn't have met this person and who are some of the people that you met that you were like I, I, I can't believe I just met that person well you know I, Johnny Wooden was a great he was, he's from Martinsville he coached 
at uh, Purdue, and then went on to uh, I'm not sure he got he did. He, he's from Washington for UCLA. He was the greatest college basketball coach. So I met him. He knew of me because he knew Coach Ray Crow, and so he was. He I got pictures with him, and so he, he's one of the guys that I looked for. while I was very fortunate to, to meet him. And of course, you when I was with the group shots, I met all kinds of kings and queens and everybody. You know, so then I had a chance to get pictures with uh, Willie Mays and Ernie Banks and uh, some of the, some great people out there, and and I uh, met a lot of the movie stars. So opportunities was galore as I look back on it. So I wouldn't have had those opportunities if it wasn't for basketball, wasn't for the Globetrotters, wasn't for Christmas Addicts, wasn't for Comfort School 17. So you can see the ch- the link that carries you from where you were to where you are now. And, you know, you can do is be very appreciative and have a high capacity for appreciation. If you wouldn't have gone the basketball route, would you would you have been pretty good at baseball? I think so. I mean, you know, I... I uh, you go, you go to your passion. You know, I had a passion for basketball. I, I played center field with, with the baseball team, and and a lot of that depends on, uh, excuse me, the incentive. You know, I have a phrase that I use a lot when I'm talking about uh, skills. You know, it says, uh, and how we, I call it, we accumulate our software or our programming, our conditioning, and these four phrases that I really see and believe. It says, what you're around or what you live with. You learn, and what you learn, you practice. What you practice, you become. What you become has consequences. One more time: what you learn, you learn. What you learn, you practice. What you practice, you become. What you become has consequences. The reason for that, Billy, is that your eyes are like cameras, taking in everything. Your ears are like tape recorder, taking in everything. That becomes how you see the world. No two people see the world exactly the same way. So when you start seeing things that you are inspired by and they have that strong desire, you become that to some degree. You go to bed thinking about it, and all of a sudden you do it vicariously in your mind. Can't wait to get back to do it for real if it's something that you strongly desire. You see, that's what it is. Similar to sex, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Visualization. (laughs) Well, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about more basketball. Well, I was too, but that popped in there for some reason. <laughs> do you still consult with the Harlem Globetrotters today, and and do you think they're as strong as uh, they have been in the past? Well, again, this is my opinion. I I I, I respect the organization, and uh, they've made so many changes away from what it used to be until I I'm not as uh, inspired because they have a lot of machinery and high-tech things going on, and you don't see the skills that was portrayed when I was there. As far as I'm concerned, you know, it's, 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 it's Hollywood up a great deal. It was always entertainment, and I guess they're doing whatever it takes to, to, to satisfy t- today's generation, and it's about a profit. But I, uh, when I see it, I'm not as inspired as what it was when I was coming along, but that's because I'm a little bit biased by the way it was when I was playing. Where can listeners get your book or uh, invite or ask you to uh, speak? Well, my website is www.halliebryant.com. And if you Google it, it's amazing. It's high tech. You just Google Halle Bryant. Everything pops up on the screen. <laughs> no secrets today. You know that. I mean, I have never one of these cell, cell phones, Samsung 5, S5, whatever. Man, you put it on Halle Bryant. What can you get this book? You got to on there is the price of the book, and it's, I made the book affordable. You know, the book is about 24 books with taxes, 
and they and they if they want to get it autographed, they can call me and I can autograph it and, and mail it to them. Mailing costs about two or three dollars, so I'd be glad to personalize it or uh, call my regular number that we call in three one seven six three two two six two four or my cell phone is three one seven four four five four seven two five. I am really proud of the book. It's it's like my Super Bowl. As I, as I said, winning Super Bowl is. When I got that book, I was like, wow, I wanted to have this out there. And I get, I get orders from Australia, different places I've been because of the Hong Kong Club's name. But the book is not just about basketball. I want to reiterate that. It's about the person. It's about how to manage your total self, how to manage the static in your attic. And, and, <laughs> and don't identify with it. It's just noise going on in your head, but you select from that and do whatever tasks you have to do with the energy going through you. So it's more than just basketball. It's about how to have harmony within, how to manage your thinking, how to uh, get along with yourself and get along with people. So would you consider yourself retired, and, and what do you do in retirement? Well, I never had a job. So. <laughs> <laughs> there is, a, there is a, 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 a piece of poetry, and I've got it memorized, I think. It's a, it goes like this. You know, if you do you love something, what you do, if you're not working, say, you, you can be a master in the art of living. That's the title of this, is a, by the fact. By the way, a master in the art of living draws no sharp distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his education and his recreation. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence through whatever he's doing and leaves others to determine whether he's working or playing. To himself, he always seems to be doing both. Well said, well said. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on and helping to keep the nostalgia alive. And uh, uh, it's been a, 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 a honor for me to speak to you, and I'm sure everybody is going to enjoy uh, uh, listening to our program. Thank you so much. Thank you, Billy. You do a good job bringing the best out of people when you talk to them about some things they've done, and uh, hopefully someone maybe get one or two of those little nuggets and say, maybe I can do that too. And that's one of the reasons that I try to share what I've, I have uh, been blessed to have. So. Keep it going. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.